Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pure Football Podcast. I'm your host this evening, Owen Brown, and we are bringing you the stories, tactics, rumours, stats, post-mortems, <laughs> existential crises, written branch reviews and therapist couch all about Scottish <laughs> football, um, not really beyond tonight, um, for fans and for fa- uh, by fans. Gavin, um, in the kind of immortal words from the train spotting, spotting movie, um, it's shite being Scottish, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you're feeling about um, you know this weekend's action. Um, so we obviously played Russia on Friday evening and, and lost uh, to them, and then yeah we played Belgium on Monday night and lost to them as well. Um, how are you um, in general? If you want to give us a quick bit of that, but also talk to me about those maybe a little bit of match analysis. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that you quoted a film because I was going to quote another film. Uh, the lead character from a film called Network says, uh, sometimes you've just got to get mad. And right now, I'm pretty mad. Um, frustrated, annoyed, disappointed. Um, and I think to me, there's you know, there's so many things that just went wrong over these two, two games. And I guess, you know, there's maybe the game against Belgium, we maybe went into it thinking if we nick anything, that's great. But Russia for me was must win. Um, so yeah, that was it was a pretty disappointing weekend overall, and uh, I've had plenty of rants on Twitter. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I think um, for a little bit of balance, I mean, I, I uh, despite me saying it's shite being Scottish, and we can follow up with the rest of the quote from Trainspot, and it continues to with uh, we're the lowest of the low, the scum of the fucking earth, the most wretched, miserable, servile, <laughs> pathetic trash that was ever shat into civilization. I don't, <laughs> I don't feel quite on that level. I don't feel quite as bad as you do. Um, I guess we can have a little bit of a debate about that. But um, why, why don't you first talk me through just your thoughts about the Russia game? Um, what, what did you feel about how that went, and you know what do we take away from it as a match? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, uh, with the lineup that came out uh, for this game, I was pretty positive. I was quite happy with how things looked. Um, the only maybe thing that I would have had different from the starting lineup is I felt like Ryan Christie deserved to start, um, but I understood what, um, or I felt like I understood what uh, Clark was going to do with the the midfield three of McGinn, McTominay, and McGregor, um, and it seemed like that could provide quite you know quite good balance and quite a lot of energy, uh, and I guess that energy you know that transpired in the first ten minutes where we came flying out the traps. Um, you know, won multiple corners early on. We pressed Russia really high. Um, you played some nice football throughout. Um, created a couple of chances just before we scored. Um, yeah, and I, I felt that uh, you know it was looking really good. Uh, we we hit the post um, from a Stephen O'Donnell uh, attempt. Uh, I think it was from a McBurney flick on. Um, and then shortly after that, we we actually scored. It went ahead early doors. Um, it was a you know, it was it was a good ball in from Fraser into a sort of dangerous area. I think the goalkeeper felt that McBurney was going to get something on it. Uh, he sort of missed it and it bounced into a sort of awkward area for the goalkeeper to try and catch. It bounces off him, breaks to John McGinn who um, was in the box just to, to you know send it home. And you know, at that point, I was thinking, unbelievable! This is actually you know the start that we we wanted. But also, the pub that I was in watching it was doing a free pint for every goal that Scotland scored. So <laughs> Free pint for every goal that was scored? Oh, that's amazing. Uh, the one so, I was in last night was only offering a free pint if Scotland actually won, um, hedging their bets quite considerably. Yeah. But, sorry, carry on. Yeah, so um, at that point, you know, I've got a free pint in my hand. Scotland are 1-0 up. 
Um, we've, we've, things are looking great. Um, and then I think they say it's the hope that gets you. Um, so then I felt it felt really weird. It felt like after we scored, we didn't know what to do. Um, we lost that intensity really quickly. Um, I felt that our pressing became uh, a bit off and it was people were going in singles rather than going in packs and it, we were just getting picked apart um, and Russia really grew into the game um, and then uh, the inevitable happened uh, Russia equalised um, I can never put is it uh, Zuba is that how you pronounce it Zuba um, let's let's go with that like I could get on that my Russian pronunciation <laughs> is uh, <laughs> informed by anything at all yeah. um, apologies to him if he's listening yeah. um, and he obviously is right um, yeah absolutely so, big and big and big and <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah uh, Zuba scores which I felt was um, some really poor defending from Scotland from this goal actually I watched it back just before we recorded and uh, both Mulgrew and Cooper are drawn to the ball um, and Zuba sort of notices this and peels off onto uh, Stephen O'Donnell who then has an overload against him where he has uh, I don't know who the Russian left winger was but uh, he has a guy by, uh, yeah he has so he has Zirkov behind him Zuba in front of him he can't take the two the two of the guys so he the ball eventually comes into uh, into the box. It sort of breaks off uh, Robertson, um, and quite you know fortunate to uh, to land at Zuba, but he's able to take a you know quite a nice touch and a, a quite a clinical finish. Um, I think there was a few warning signs before that goal as well, though. Um, Zuba had a good sort of effort that just went over the bar, um, and I just throughout that I started to notice that. Mulgrew and Cooper did not feel comfortable together for me in this game. Um, they just they felt like they were on two different wavelengths. Um, I didn't feel like the protection in front of them at times was was that that good. I, I thought McTominay, he doesn't seem to have a lot of urgency, is what sort of came across to me. Um, I don't actually remember seeing him sprint, um, which I'm sure he did, but that's just how it sort of felt watching it. Um, and yeah, just as the game. You know, grew it just we went more and more into a shell. I think McTominay struggled at times to deal with Golovin's movement. I think Golovin's quite um, smart mover between the lines and stuff, and that was maybe a bit tough for him. But I think the most critical thing for me, um, apart from obviously there's individual errors, and I think you know people like, for instance, Mulgrew, like O'Donnell, maybe for me just aren't the level required for um, you know playing for Scotland. And are not playing at the level required as well, maybe. Um, but I think that tactically, um, and and you pointed to the fact that maybe it was just partially we didn't know what to do after going ahead, but we just dropped so deep um, and looked so nervous at that point. And I think in general that's not a good approach. But when you're playing against a team that have a centre forward who um, is just really a physical presence and a finisher, um, you really don't want to do that. Um, I'd watched um, some previous games for Russia um, from this group and um, Zuba is not effective when you play a bit of a higher line and when you press generally Russia seemed in the games I watched at least to try and get the ball to him through kind of clip balls from the fullbacks and if you're able to press them really intensely and shut down the angles for them well um, Zuba ends up running offside um, and he's you know so I just felt that A our approach um, was not a good one generally, but B, against that specific opponent, it was always going to end up um, with uh, trouble. Yeah. What? What? Anything else for for you to kind of take from that match? 
just before the, the the third goal, there was something just on what you were mentioning there. As we were dropping deeper, um, we seen more and more of what we dreaded, and that was the Charlie McGrew sixty yard diag um, to Ollie McBurney with no support, uh, and people then started to get really frustrated about you know McBurney not winning these headers or when he did win the ball, he lost the ball because he had pretty much no options, um, and it was. It was just continuous. We were literally just given Russia the ball back any time we had it um, and invited the pressure back onto us. Um, yeah. I felt that was really evident at, at times as well when it went back to Marshall from Mulgrew. Either the ball would stick with Mar- uh, Mulgrew and he would loft it up or, or it would come to Mar- Marshall and, and he would loft it up aimlessly. I'm not entirely opposed to Scotland at times going a bit longer. Um, it would certainly take away the panic I have when Mulgrew's um, trying to do a short pass. But I think if you do that, there needs to be an objective. There needs to be a step beyond, let me just launch this as far as I can. You need to be thinking two, three movements past that. You know, who's going to win that? Who's going to get on the second balls? Where am I actually going to play it? Why am I doing this? Um, you know, and it's not like that's thought through, I don't think, as a team. Yeah, I think the gap between the centre forwards and the midfield just got bigger and bigger as the game went on. McBurney was he was left so isolated at times, and uh, you know Fraser and Forrest, who you know for these sort of balls, you need to have them close to him um, for him to play the ball to, or you know to give him an option, etc. Um, yeah, so it just felt it was literally like you know for ten minutes we were world beaters, and then after that we just did not have a clue what was expected of us. So given given that, right, so let's say we accept that there was mistakes and poor things individually. What about Steve Clark? So the one thing that perhaps we'd maybe hoped was that there would be some form of offset to the fact that as we have some good players, there are clearly some players who are not necessarily level. Um, and I, I guess we thought, you know, defensive organisation, minimising individual errors, um, having a plan, clear strategy, you know, and and maybe being able to recognise things on the pitch tactically, where was that for you? Yeah, I didn't I didn't see it at all. Do you think that this is just the sort of thing that needs more time, and you know, need to be kind of patient, or are you running out of a bit of patience? Or I guess I'm I don't know if I'm running out of patience or more. I'm just frustrated that you know um, we I didn't see anything from Clark in terms of changing things in game. Um, Changing people's positions, trying to adapt in this game. As we, as we went further and further into our shell, we, I would have liked him to, you know, from the sideline, been encouraging the players to to push forward or change the shape. Um, so I was thinking about that, like so, just more generally um, about how much a manager can really do, especially at international level. And whether so that the might Clark might be doing a lot of work um, that is going to play out over the next you know four group games uh, and whatever other games we end up playing, and it might be that those things just need a little bit of time and cohesion and, and things to to go together. Do you think maybe we're more likely to believe that somebody's doing things if there's something obvious that they're doing? I mean, like for instance, let's say somebody came in and said, "Right, we're playing five three two, or right." I'm going to make three substitutions after the 55th minute or I'm going to dramatically change the formation. It's like, you know, a perception just because he's making an obvious change that they're doing something, but maybe there are things being done. We just need to kind of um, have a bit of faith. 
Yeah, maybe. I guess uh, I, I think it was um, in uh, Graham Murty's interview on The Athletic with Jordan Campbell where he spoke about, um, and by no means am I comparing Graham Murty to Steve Clark, but because um, Steve Clark couldn't do headstands. Um, but uh, Graham Murty, there was something he said about asking the fullback to play uh, five yards further forward. Um, and that, you know that's a subtle change, right? And that can have a huge impact. But in this game, I just didn't feel like there was even anything that subtly changed. Um, there was a, a number of times as well where I felt like when we did have the ball in possession uh, at the back, I would have, you know, as deep as we were, there was still no options to pass it to. Um, McGregor, uh, it was like he wanted to play behind his marker. I felt like he went into uh, a shell. Um, McGinn, you know, he didn't go box to box as we sort of expect and I don't think McTominay's game is actually ball at his feet, to be honest um, so yeah, there was just things for, for me there um, and that game specifically that, that could have been changed, whether it's personal or shape or formation I don't know, but I just didn't see anything even like, you know, that you could remotely suggest that we're trying to do something different and recognising that we are not playing the way we should be playing Okay what about, um, to double down on our misery here, move on to the Belgium <laughs> game, um, on uh, that game selection and you know what happened and so on? Uh, yeah, so just before we before we um, go into the game specifically, I just thought I would compare the team that started against Belgium away uh, on the 11th of June. So that was uh, Marshall, O'Donnell, McGrew, uh, um, Russell, Armstrong, McGregor and Burke versus the team that played on the 9th of September of Marshall, O'Donnell, Mulgrew, Cooper, Robertson, McTominay, McLean, Snodgrass, Christie, McGregor and Phillips. Um, I've seen some similarities in terms of the way that they were set up. I felt like uh, Christie and Phillips was a sort of replication of maybe what he was trying to achieve with Armstrong and Burke. Um, we seen Kenny McLean come back in, uh, into the centre mid um, role, and we've seen McGregor in this sort of inverted inside sort of winger type role um, which I'm not too sure how effective he was at to be honest um, in either game um, but yeah I think from the, a lineup point of view I was disappointed I didn't I didn't feel like that team could get us a result um, I think there wasn't enough again um, Snodgrass coming in I'm not too sure what we learned from playing Robert Snodgrass in these sort of games I know he's playing for West Ham but to me um you know, James Forrest, as quiet as he was against Russia, um, I think he could have offered us more uh, down that side opposed to Snodgrass. And even just from a work rate point of view, um, I was concerned. So from the lineups, I didn't see how we were going to get anything. And then, you know, we started really well again. So we had a bright sort of five, ten minutes. Um, and then it all went to absolute hell. I felt like Belgium kind of allowed us. I mean, that's a mark maybe of a really, really confident team um, that, you know, the sort of team that Scotland could never be that allows the other team to have the ball for a period of time and says, well, okay, let's see what you do and then we'll maybe take advantage of something when it's ready to to happen. So I I did feel, you're right, that we dominated the ball early on, but it wasn't like we were... um, I didn't think the Belgium looked scared. Just to go back to your points about the the team selection, um, I, I do agree with a lot of that. I felt that um, I understood in the first game against Belgium, McGregor was played on the left. It did for me work to an extent in terms of 
um, said that some you know defensive structure and and so on. Um, I did feel in this game that it was um, an an unfortunate uh, lack of use of his ability on the ball. Maybe you know he he just didn't get as involved as I would have liked him to. And the knock on effect of was that McTominay was asked to be a playmaker essentially when when you know Scotland had the ball. Um, and I think um, in some moments McTominay did well in possession. I think that he has. Um, when he comes deep, maybe to collect it off the centre backs when he's facing his own goal, he's surprisingly um, confident and efficient at um, not messing up, um, basically. But I think when he's facing towards their goal, um, he's not the most creative, obviously, and, and he makes some risky kind of cross field passes at times and stuff. So it would have been nice for me to see somebody with a better on ball ability. In the, in the middle, um, but yeah, ca- carry on. Tell me to let, let's get to the the bad bits. <laughs> yeah, the the bad bits didn't take long. Uh, Scotland won a free kick high up and uh, with a ball going into the box, um, and it takes Belgium one pass to have a two on one against Andy Robertson. Um, when the ball comes loose, um, you know it's excellent play from De Bruyne. He does. Um, you know the run that he makes. Uh, if you watch it back, the you know is incredible. He literally bursts his lungs to get out the box. I mean, he doesn't literally burst his lungs. That yeah. would be a disgusting. <laughs> yeah, that's, of life. that's true. Um, but... but when I watched it back, so I, I specifically watched the 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 run that De Bruyne makes. And there's a moment for me where you see Callum McGregor look at De Bruyne, and you see Callum McGregor also look at the ball, and he goes to the ball when he probably doesn't have to. Um, and for me, that was maybe just that little bit of. You know, tactical awareness of what was behind McGregor uh, in terms of you know, De Bruyne was now going to be on a two-on-one if if Mertens gets the ball past O'Donnell, which he done with ease. Um, and again, maybe for for me at that moment, O'Donnell maybe has to realise the situation and potentially you know make a professional foul or not dive in for the challenge at all. I think O'Donnell could maybe have held his position a wee bit more and, and not tried to get there in front of Mertens. But yeah, if he can't, then we take him out. Yeah, and, and not that, you know, that's not the sort of football that we want to see, but we also don't want to see where we're put against two-on-ones, um, you know, from Belgium winning the ball inside, you know, their own half. You know who I blame for this goal? I blame Andy Robertson, and not for the situation that he was in once the ball got to De Bruyne and he was backing off. I think at that point, you know, De Bruyne is one of the best players in the world. There's very little you can do. I blame Andy Robertson for the set-up at the free kick. Um, he's the captain, he's on the field we, we didn't set up with a sound defensive structure for that and you need to be aware of the fact that there's a risk having a set piece against somebody like Belgium against that um, sort of position, particularly when you're going to send both your centre backs up you're going to send your defensive midfielder up because McTominay is one of your tallest guys but he's also one of your most kind of mobile midfielders um, so you know it's a risk I think Robertson needs to be taking charge of that situation and telling more people to hang back and, and be in a better structure yeah it's, I spe- there was absolutely no need for Stephen O'Donnell to be as advanced as, as, advanced as he was um, there was no need for it um, so yeah whether that's you know Belgium strategy allowing us to get the ball maybe get a little bit overconfident um, maybe that played into it but you're right and Robertson for me there's two things. The second, so the second goal, um, I felt that, you know, this again could have been prevented, um, and Robertson for me was part of this or potentially could influence that. Um, so the ball, it's a short corner from Belgium. Um, Cal McGregor nearly wins the ball, 
Um, but if you watch it back, if you watch Andy Robertson's positioning, he's about five or six yards away from McGregor. Um, whereas I felt like he could have maybe pushed out a little bit further. Um, there was no Belgian players behind him, and the only other option would have been for Belgium to cross the ball in. So for me, I would have liked Robertson to again to sort of recognise that uh, and push forward and potentially you know he can block the cross in or when McGregor actually wins the ball to start with there's maybe an opportunity that it breaks to Robertson and that pressure's relieved completely um, and there was something that Robertson said after the game that he's still grown into the captain's role and I wonder about whether this is actually hindering his performances for Scotland whether he feels that this is putting him under unnecessary pressure. Whether he has the, you know, the the mental ability to be the leader for Scotland is totally different, a hundred percent different to playing in, you know, a, a free flowing Liverpool team that dominates the ball, opposed to playing for Scotland. And it, there's a lot of different responsibilities. I was wondering about that as well. Um, I think, um, look, I, I love Andy Robertson. I'm I'm so proud of how well he's done for Liverpool. Um, love him as a player and as a he seems like a really nice guy. Um, you know, in every kind of video clip I've seen as well. But I do think that he seems quite a nervy character on the pitch. Um, I, I think just I mean you have to remember at Liverpool, you know, he's got um maybe the best goalkeeper in the world behind him. He's got maybe the best centre back inside him. He's got maybe the best left winger in the world ahead of him. Right, so he's surrounded by world class players and it's a very different system very different job he has to do for Liverpool than he has to do for Scotland but there are occasions on which if you go and watch the Bayern Munich games um, from last season's Champions League is a good example at times go slightly wrong for him defensively and he, he recovers really well but he does it and he's a, he gives off a lot of nervous kind of energy for me at times where he maybe is doubting himself in comparison to his peers at that level mentally for me a wee bit um this is maybe a little bit of couch chair uh, armchair um analysis which is maybe unfair to him but that's just the 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 thing i get off him a, a wee bit and i'm just not too sure if um he's best suited on the pitch to being uh, a leader but i guess the thing is if not him who else yep i was just going to come on to that actually when you look at the starting 11 that played um the the last three games, there's not really any standout characters. I think um, there's a lack of personality, and that's a bit of a vague term, and maybe one I would tend to sometimes shy away from. I don't mean like people being kind of loud and and um, kind of brash or, or difficult or anything, but I do just mean people that, and and this I guess all of the players are probably lacking confidence. It's only natural given maybe some of the management they've been under for the national team and the results, obviously, and the kind of um, attitude of the nation um you know we're all pretty apathetic so that's natural but i do think there's a little bit of a lack of people with the personality to go and seek the ball or to influence games or to influence their teammates a wee bit or at least people at you know um a good age i mean you know you could give it to somebody very experienced like mulgrew but i wouldn't want him to be the captain because there was the the forward plan in there um who would you give it to apart from robertson any ideas Liam Cooper is Leeds captain, right? Yes. Not that he played particularly well in these games, and obviously he's only just getting into the caps for Scotland, but I guess if I had to pick, that would have been my choice, but I don't particularly like that choice. Mm. Um, Guy with two caps. Yeah, I get that, right? I guess it's more just from the, you know, 
they're able to handle the characteristic of it, or you would imagine that he has that. Um, but yeah, there was a couple other things that just quickly whilst I'm annoyed at this. Also for the second goal, McTominay and Kenny McLean both completely lose their runners into the box for uh, for the goal. They literally stand still and watch, uh, I think it's uh, Vermaelen and uh, Alderweireld just run straight past them. McLean knows it. You see his head in his hands straight after as well. It was incredible. He um, really, really knew he messed up. Um, yeah, I would put it more with them. I mean, I agree that Robertson could have been titled to the cross and stuff, but it's a beautiful ball in. Absolutely ridiculous. You've then you've got to stay with your man. You've got to win that. I think it's an hour of Scottish defenders should be first to it you know it's uh defendable but hey um what what else have you got for me yeah so then on to the the third goal that also annoyed me um it's it's also a yeah um you know what let's first of all let's give Alderweireld credit it's a fantastic header but again there's a couple of things that came out Charlie McGrew is so easily pushed off that ball, he may as well have not been there. It was a pathetic attempt to try and put Alderweireld off. Um, I don't actually think, again, when I watched it back, um, Charlie McGrew's a centre-back, but he's not a very physical centre-back. Um, he's not actually that good in uh, duels for the ball, or that at least how it came across uh, in these games. Uh, and you know what, I guess he's going against uh, Zuba and Lukaku, so it's not easy. Um, but for me, I just felt he, he didn't do a particularly good job on this one. There was also something as well that um, from the Scotland setup, you can see that there's a sort of mix between uh, man marking and a sort of zone marking. Um, and this came back to something you were speaking about earlier around about time. To me, that's probably something that you will struggle to get players confident in doing um, or being able to do successfully. Um, the cross between zonal and man marking for a corner. You can probably do this at a club team because you're training uh, on the pitch on a you know a weekly, daily basis, playing regular games. I'm not too sure if that's best suited for international football when you're playing different back fours, you're playing different people. Um, so I just worry that you know that system that was successful was Kilmarnock. Was that down to the continuity that Kilmarnock had that we maybe don't have at international level. That was more maybe just a, a observation. And there's a few corners that bit. Well, maybe there's okay, that happened, but we'll get better at it, you know, with time. Also, I mean, if the suggestion is that if you don't do that, what do you do? You just man mark, knowing that Mulgrew can't win his individual battles. That's uh, <laughs> kind of, um, you know. You know, um, but fair, fair, fair enough. Well spotted um, on the kind of detail of um, that corner. Um, I, I totally agree with you that um, yeah, it was unfortunate that Mulgrew and Mulgrew seemed to me to essentially invite the physical battle. I mean, I know it's hard to avoid, um, particularly with somebody like Alderweireld who who wants that to happen. But he didn't. He he seemed to me to end up getting in a bit of a wrestling match and and shrugged off instead of just focusing on the ball. Easy for me to say, um, and a beautiful delivery. But um, yeah, disappointing goal to lose. Yep. Um, yeah. So I guess that's something like you said. You know, it could be a positive in time, and it's something that we could develop. But how many more caps does Charlie Mulgrew get? Right. Um, when do we say that? You know. 33-year-old Charlie Mulgrew is not good enough to be a Scotland international if we want to progress as a nation. Not that I'm holding him accountable for all this, but he didn't do himself any favours for me. Well, I mean, I, I felt that... Um, I mean, I, I, 
Yeah, I agree with you. What I think I would point to is in this game, I thought Lukaku was phenomenal. Uh, I thought his touch was incredible for somebody that often gets criticised for that kind of thing. His movement, his touch, everything was sensational and De Bruyne was just next level. Um, so it was a hard night for Mulgrew and for Cooper. But yeah, I'm certainly no fan of Mulgrew um, at this point. I think that if it hadn't been for the fact that we have quite a few injuries, I mean, you have to remember that John Souter, Scott McKenna, um, both out in, you know, Halkett's just kind of coming through, Bates just moved club and isn't starting really, so... Um, Do you know who's one of the four players that have played in the last four internationals? It's Charlie Mulgrew. For sure, I mean, he's, you know, he's he's available. <laughs> Counts in his favour, I guess. Um, not saying I want it to happen, but, you know... I guess, right, you know, I was just frustrated with it. Um, and then I was frustrated with the fourth goal as well. If you watch this back as well, if you look at the Scotland line for the ball that comes in, Andy Robertson is higher than the other three. Um, the other three are deep and Andy Robertson is high, which gives Lukaku space to run into. And Lukaku does a sort of diagonal run across the ball and brings Stephen O'Donnell with him. Uh, and that leaves so much space for Kevin De Bruyne behind him. Um, Robert Snodgrass and... Scott McTominay, uh, the the space that I actually couldn't believe that we're allowing an international player, in fact a world class player like Kevin De Bruyne, to have that much space to run into, um, and Lukaku still has a lot to do, um, but for me it just it just added to that sort of um, disorganisation. My concerns about structure, my concerns about personnel, and yeah, you just watch that goal back and it's. It's really, really bad. It's it's just, you know what? I know we're three 0 down at this point, um, and I was one that was advocating for you know Scotland trying to do something different, but we didn't really do anything different. We just, I don't know. I just, if you get the chance to watch it back, just look at the space that Kevin De Bruyne's left to to do. And you know what? I really don't want to sound like I'm I'm forgetting the quality of the players that we were playing against. Belgium are obviously you know ranked number one in the world they're an incredible team but we just made it so easy for them um and it's you know again going back to russia we made it easy for these teams to to beat us and i guess i just felt a a little bit sort of disillusioned with these two performances again entirely i think everybody can can hear the the disillusionment um the reality of it is that we're now in fifth place we're behind cyprus um we Spoke a lot there about the goals that we conceded and the kind of problems defensively and so on. Um, I think we've now conceded more than double what Cyprus have um, in the group stages so far, which is definitely troubling. But something that's troubling for me as well is that we've only scored five goals in six games. Um, I would say you maybe should score that versus San Marino alone, um, who've conceded 28 in, in six games. So I think maybe we should talk about centre-forward um, and maybe talk about Ollie McBurney, who started the first game and you know came in for a fair bit of criticism afterwards. But you know you maybe have some thoughts on him and, and the kind of centre-forward role in general for Scotland. What, what did you think, how it went for him in brief terms, but also you know what, what's the kind of problems for Scotland there and what are we going to do about that? Do we have any options in, in place of him? So I guess for McBurney for me, again, in this game, I think people get put off just by looking at him. He's got a sort of scruffy look with the low socks and, you know, a bit of a messy beard. And um, I do think that plays into people's perception of him. Um, 
I think people also look at the perception of him being tall and assume that he's a target man, when actually I feel like he's far superior with the ball at his feet, with um, you know runners running off him. Um, I reached out to uh, Blades Analytics and Swans Analytics on Twitter, um, who both posted some radars of McBurney's performances, um, and there's a couple of good comments from those guys in there who have, have seen him play on a regular basis. Um, McBurney is used to playing in fairly attacking setups, um, and we maybe ask him to do things that isn't his game. Um, and you know what, maybe he's not capable of playing the way that we need our centre-forward to play. Maybe, or maybe we need to address that the way we play isn't good enough and that we need to look at changing that. I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I feel like the, the you know the slack that he, he got um, from a number of people um, and a number of people you know calling him out for um, the game against Russia where you just have to look at how isolated he was and how far away the support was. Even when he had the ball, what was he meant to do? What was he, you know, you can't blame him for having nobody to pass to um, and to be being surrounded, um, you know, by the, the Russian, you know, sort of back five at times uh, with their, their defensive midfielder dropping in. What was he meant to, to physically do? And for me, it maybe felt like McBurney started this game as more of a, a Steve Clark trying to put him in front of the fans as a sort of like, right, go show them what you're made of because of the stuff with the video. Um, one that I'm not 100% certain is, you know, was as bad as people made out. I think we live in a world where people want to get offended. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's my sort of take on McBurney. I think that we should persevere with him. And I think if we're going to play McBurney, we need to make sure that there's someone like a Ryan Christie playing right off him. Because um, that's when he's successful. That's when he's able to make a difference. Um Get get people beyond them. Get lots of movement and stuff. I, I think that um, I agree with all that absolutely. On in terms of your take on McBurney, I, I think the problem here is a it's a goal scoring problem for Scotland, uh, for Scotland in general. Not a McBurney issue. I mean, we we just we don't we're struggling to score goals and we've struggled to have a goal scorer for quite some time now. Um, you know, our top goal scorers of all time are are still Law and Dalglish. Um, we've got. The, the founder of R.S. McCall's newsagent in our top 10 goal scorers of all time who played in the 1890s. You know, we're, we're, we're just not generating people that score goals. Beyond Griffiths, what have we got? Like, uh, sorry, beyond McBurney, what have we got? Well, maybe Lee Griffiths if he comes back. Um, maybe Eamon Brophy, maybe Matt Phillips, maybe Ryan Christie, maybe Oliver Burke, maybe, maybe Fraser Hornby. These are, you know, there's no kind of real guaranteed source of goals within that group and um, so I think that we, we need to show a bit of understanding to the people who are in those positions um, playing a centre forward for Scotland and work on ways to get goals um, I think maybe like you said get people playing closer together I think we need to see some more kind of uh, you know, attacking patterns of play, real real ideas of how we're actually going to create chances on the pitch, see a bit of kind of identity around that you know, set ways that we can break on counter-attacks or getting through a team. Also, let's see what we can do with set pieces. Is there something, you know, um, avoiding uh, conceding goals from them would be uh, great, but, but also seeing if we can maybe score some goals from them. So I, w- I would love to see all that because right? I agree we need to persevere with McBurney at, at least as a squad player and quite possibly as a starting uh, number nine. But um, 
we we also need to work on ways on getting the most out of our players, um, which I, d- I don't think is happening for him or for centre forwards in general. I think just that one final take I wanted to have on McBurney is that his price tag isn't his fault. Um, you know, the money that he went for, that's just the market that that he lives in. That's not that doesn't make mean that he's not a good player because someone paid as much as they paid for him. Um, if anything, we should view it as a positive and not hold it against him because that is again how some of the the mainstream media sort of pursued it. And you know, I just think that's a really poor take. Um, a player is only worth what a team is willing to pay for them. So that doesn't mean mean that their capability is better or worse than someone that went for less money. So maybe we need to try and understand why a team would play that pay that amount of money for him. What is it that Sheffield United see about McBurney that's worth twenty million pounds, and for him to be playing in the English Premier League, and then take um, those attributes that they think he has and those skills, and see how we can use them as a Scotland team? That that would be a way of maybe viewing that. Um, yeah, um, we did also say that we were going to talk a little bit about um, giving youth a chance. So you touched on it earlier with um, your thoughts on Snodgrass playing. Um, I guess. You know, we saw some tweets today um, saying we should be thankful, um, get down on our knees, and and um, you know praise Johnny Russell for getting. He got on a plane. Wow. <laughs> yes, he travelled in four thousand miles or whatever to play. But the point I'm getting to here is, should we be playing some other people, younger people, um, emerging talent instead of these guys? Um, what do you think, Gavin? Yeah, I'm. I'm a big advocate of the. There needs to be a bit of a shake-up. I think we need to look at players like Russell, players like Snodgrass, and we can we can go down the, ah, but they were, you know, they're passionate, they want to play for Scotland. They're not good enough to get us to where we need to be. Fact. They haven't been good enough, and we've tried them, we've given them their opportunities, they've both got multiple caps, and this isn't just about, you know, um, Russell and Snodgrass, but... Um, we need to inject something into this team... Uh, and for me, there's there needs to be some sort of um, pathway for twi- players from the under twenty ones, etc., into the the main team, um, into the national team. And I couldn't believe it when and you know I know Mikey Johnston got um, got injured and was was pulled out of the under twenty ones games, but um, the fact that he wasn't in this squad when he he started unbelievably for Celtic, um, scored in Europa League, scored against Hearts. Um, played in the old firm, you know. Uh, to me, the fact that 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 he was overlooked is just a really bizarre selection. It's something that we sort of spoke about before with some concerns about, you know, Steve Clark's selection process and and how it worked. Um, so that was one for me. That's an obvious opportunity to bring in some fresh blood, uh, young, energetic player that can do something different. And you know, what? I know that we maybe have a little bit of different views on this, um, but. I'm going to use Wales as an example. Wales have called up a number of players in the last few years that aren't, you know, that are at a very young age and get them into the international setup at a young age and get them used to playing with the, the national team. They've recently called up, uh, I think, a kid called Dylan Levitt, who's never played for Manchester United. He was in the main squad for their games there. Um, they've, they've done it with Harry Wilson, uh, Ben Woodburn. They've done it with... Um, uh, Ethan Ampadu from Chelsea. All these really young players. Ampadu's only just turned 18 and he's already got 13 caps. Um, what Wales are now 24th in the world ranking. 
Um, whether you think that's too many appearances for a young player, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know that the answer isn't these players that were playing on a, a regular basis. And, you know, Charlie McGrew playing, do we have a young centre-back that can maybe offer something different? I don't know. But um, this is, to me, is just... I'd like to see something Scotland do something different, and you know maybe calling up uh, Billy Gilmore, who's you know starting to get involved in the Chelsea squad, and letting him play early. Maybe it has a similar effect to you know some of these players, and maybe it does something for the for the nation itself. Um, and yes, I am putting all my hopes and hat uh, on Billy Gilmore. I want I want to be happy, Gilmore. Um, so yeah, that's my sort of take. <laughs> on Billy Gilmore okay <laughs> I like it <laughs> um, okay well I, I love your enthusiasm and uh, in general I, I guess I, I do agree you know good enough then you're old enough um, I think for me um, I I don't know how much I think that international experience really means um, so the fact that certain players have you know, played internationally for us and have those caps and so on. I mean, that's experience of failure to a certain extent. So I'm not too sure that I value that more um, than other things. For me, I really value the fact that somebody's being coached at a high level, playing at a high level. So for me, yeah, Billy Gilmore being part of the Chelsea setup and presumably being around the first team um, and you know being involved in um, coaching sessions as much as you know I might have my own thoughts about what a Frank Lampard coaching session might involve um, <laughs> is is a positive thing I'm, I'm being uh, I'm joking a little bit there what, what I mean by that is that I would far rather play uh, young people who are playing at a high level and being coached at a high level than valuing um, people that just happen to have a lot of international caps because you can have a lot of international caps because our teams have been poor, you know, and you've just been the guy that's been available. Um, I, I think the slight kind of caveat for me and why I'm maybe a little bit hesitant about this is that I have watched quite a lot of the under-21s and the under-18s and so on. I'm not necessarily sure that a lot of them are really... I mean, I think they're ready um, in that I don't think that they're necessarily worse than some of the players that we have around the senior squad. I just don't think I'm ready to be carried away with how good they will be. I don't know if it will change something. Um, so, and, and I, that's maybe unfair of me. I, I think, and and I'm hesitant about Billy Gilmore specifically, um, having watched quite a little bit of him. Uh, so I just don't want to get carried away with that. But I, I agree with you in general. Let's get um, young players blooded. Let's get more of a consistent pathway. Um, let's move those people out. There would be a great opportunity, I think, for Clark to kind of draw a line at this point and maybe do that for the next four games of this group and be ready for the playoffs. On the other hand, you know, Clark has to balance these things. You know, he's got his own career to think of. And, you know, we spoke on the pod a long time ago about how this job could potentially be a, a, a CV killer. You can look good CV-wise by blooding a lot of young people, but you maybe don't get the credit for that until after your career is already over. Um, so you know, do you get the credit of the results that we just got with the players that you just got? Sure, uh, there's obviously you know you don't get in from that. And talking of results tonight, um, Scotland under twenty ones 
did manage to beat Croatia under 21s 2-1 um, with a, a victory in Croatia which is a pretty phenomenal result um, let's not call for Scott Gemmell to replace Steve Clark <laughs> quite quite yet but um, I want to heap some praise on Conor McClellan Clinton of Aberdeen another young um, talented wide player who could you know replace Johnny Russell um, who was really good for dribbling last season in the league and got two goals tonight to win that um, so anything final you want to say um, in terms of kind of next steps or anything that you think needs to change for Scotland I I don't believe in when people say this is like things like this is where we are as a nation are really annoy me and really frustrate me because you don't have to accept that you don't have to say that that's okay because that's where we're at I think we should you know that's where as um, you know maybe we're not in the game, you know exactly. But if where's the accountability and where's the um, you know this isn't good enough? Where's the you know I realise that the way that I played is completely unacceptable, and actually because of that, this is what I'm going to do differently. Or Steve Clark come out and say these are the reasons that I done this, and this is what I'm going to do differently. Or this is what I've learned from the group that I've just had. And you know what? If people have to say, if you have to be, you know, difficult uh, and say. Um, you know what? For the next few games, you're not in the squad. I don't. It doesn't matter how you play. For right now, you're not in our squad. I think uh, England just done it with um, Kyle Walker, right? Kyle Walker is one of the best fullbacks in the world at playing at an extremely high level, um, and they've decided that they're not playing him because he wants to give other players a chance. I, if you have the right conversation, which maybe Alex McLeish didn't have, and we were hoping that Steve Clark would maybe clear that up, I think you go out and say to Charlie McGrew, actually, you know what? As much as a servant you've been to the Scotland setup, you will not be playing our next three games. And I'm I'm hoping that you understand the reason behind this is because we are going to try something different. We're going to play. You know what? Imagine he came out and said, you know what, Ryan Porteous. I don't. I would be. You know, I know Porteous is maybe a bad example because he's been injured. But just you know, off the top of my head, yeah. You get what I mean, though, right? The general, the, the general point, like yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's something that I feel that, that can get fans excited, and that can have an influence on the amount of people that turn up or the, you know, these sort of things. I think that's a great point. I mean, there there are lots and lots of things that have been talked about over the last day or so, um, in terms of these kind of post mortems and you know the fact that there's no ball game signs up and stuff and all these kind of things and I, I agree with a huge extent of these things um, you know there's lots and lots of ongoing reforms that need to be done in terms of uh, things from the SFA in terms of things from the Scottish Government um, just for general benefit in terms of improving people's standard of life here and the knock-on effect that that might potentially have on our Scottish national team maybe um, but you you make a great point that uh, there could be a bit of thought about how to win um, back some of the fan base and kind of see some of the apathy. Um, a really, really easy way for me would be not to charge £30 for people to watch that sort of... Um, on a Monday night as well, which is a difficult night for a lot of people travelling from different places. But hey, um, so uh, next steps for Scotland then. Russia away uh, next month, San Marino uh, at home next month as well. Um, and then Cyprus away in November and Kazakhstan at home um, a couple of days later in November as well. Shall we bring this back to some domestic matters and have a look at um, the Tunnock's Caramel Wafer 
Challenge Cup. That is if we can see it, because I hear there have been um, hitches with the broadcast of today's draw. Um, it was supposed to go out live on their YouTube channel, but I believe that um, it was yeah beset by some problems to the extent that some of the draw wasn't shown and there was... Uh, club accounts left tweeting, um, you know, who are we playing, what's happening. We know that we're not playing St Mirren Colts or Wrexham because they've been drawn together, but beyond that, we're, we're out of the loop. Um, do you have any thoughts on that tournament, on the draw, or any kind of um, bits and pieces? Are you with me in terms of my view that it's not even a very nice confectionery? <laughs> so, a couple of things. First of all, if you are not from Scotland and you're tuning in for the first time, we promise that our setup isn't this much of a shambles all the time and there are good things that do happen um, in terms of the cup itself it's an absolute shambles um, yeah it, tell me in what world that St Mirren Colts playing Wrexham is a good idea Who who's that for what's that what's the benefit there really you know what some fans get a nice away day that that they maybe wouldn't have get, which is great, right? But that's what friendlies are for. I happened to be on a train back from Liverpool on Saturday um, where there were a lot of very United fans coming back from Wrexham and they, they did seem to have had a very, very, very good day out of it, judging by um, the, the songs and stuff, um, despite their result. But yeah, it's, it's, it's mental, isn't it? Like, what about the cost in this, right? What about the cost for the clubs? Uh, like, St Mirren Colts, their youth team, playing in Wales. What what and what way does that make sense to anybody? Um, yeah, there's just Ranger, you know, Rangers just playing Balamina. What what good is that to absolutely anyone whatsoever? Um, the the draws are shambles. The competitions are shambles. Um, and yeah, I'm all I'm all out on it. I you know a couple of years ago I tried to be positive about it. You know, doing something different because I like I like when people try things differently. But what needs to what we need to try differently is scrap that competition. Oh wow! Okay, you're not think. I mean, I was thinking of a pure football outing to um, Stenhouse Muir versus Waterford of the League of Ireland. No, not not happening. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed to. I'm not opposed to going to a game. That's different, right? But the actual setup is pathetic. So what about um, like? Uh, well, I, I was kind of thinking as a mad curveball. I mean, in general terms, for me, there are too many cup competitions. There's too many games, but that's that's my kind of take, and that's maybe an unfair take because I know that fans, um, obviously, like going to matches, right? That's what we do this for, um, and might enjoy the trips and stuff. But I was thinking, I, I don't like the fact that it's out with Scotland. I guess I, I think that's just a bit weird. Um, what about? I, I don't know if people want these kind of things. Um, maybe regionalise League 1 and League 2 but not the Cups um, so that then you get your trips from that I, I don't know um, just talking off the top of my head here is it also just the name of Colts teams is that off putting I, I I think I've got a problem with that name yeah I guess I guess people do get upset with that yeah um, I don't know how you rebrand it um, I don't know how you you, you, you know reconfigure it I guess the point was to try and give the Colts teams some you know, competitive matches, but unless we decide to change that dramatically, what benefit do these Colts teams get from playing, you know, one or two games against clubs? I'm not too sure. Uh, I think if you're going to invest in the Colts or the B teams, I think you need to look at it on a, uh, a similar scale to the way that they do it in Portugal or Holland. If you really want, if you're saying that's the way forward for you, I think you sort of need to go all in on it. Uh, I don't think dipping your toes in works for anyone. 
Um, but that's that's a debate for a different day, and I've probably already lost all our listeners by saying that. But <laughs> yeah, and I didn't mean to offend uh, tonics. I mean, I do like a snail, <laughs> um, so. <laughs> um, to bring things a little bit back to international football again, but still to include some young uh, talent that plays in the Scottish leagues. Um, I hope viewers, uh, listeners rather, have maybe had the chance to see uh, Joe go um, for Nigeria in his debut uh, against Ukraine tonight. It was a pretty incredible um, piece of set-up play from Samu Kalu, who plays for Bordeaux. Um, but another person who um, has had a pretty special international um, weekend from the Scottish leagues is Odson Edward. So Edward has had quite the scoring streak for France under 21s. He got a double um, off the bench against Albania um, at the tail end of last week and then followed that up with a double um, on Monday night um, when starting against uh, Czechia for France. So give me some thoughts on that happening, um, Gavin. So it's yeah, it's great for both the players. Um, I didn't know it was Joe Rebo's debut tonight, um, but that's really good for the player and for Rangers. I guess that increases his stock and his value that he's you know international level. Um, but then it just came into my head right there. What do Rangers do if he's called up to Africa Cup of Nations? How does that concern you as a, a manager? I know Rangers have got about nine thousand midfielders, but um, I guess that's a problem that Rangers might have to to face, um, especially for Rebo's, you know, making an impact like, like he has. Um, so that's, you know, it's good news, but also a challenge that Rangers will have to face. In terms of Odds and Edward, it just feels like Dembele Mark too, right? Um, and I I really wouldn't be surprised to see him follow a similar path as Dembele. Um, there was a, a late rumour that came into um, about Monaco trying to get Edward. Um and there, there's a couple of threads that you can actually find. Um, I'll see if I can retweet one of them. But um, so from some fairly decent sources on Twitter, it's not your agent Scotland or anything like that. Um, some French journalists um, were, were speaking about it that Monaco had agreed um, a deal with the player, but couldn't agree a deal with Celtic, um, and the window slams shut as it does. Um, so that, I just wouldn't be surprised to see Edward. He fits the profile that loads of clubs are going to want, right? Uh, he's got a unique skill set. Um, he's played in European competitions. He's uh, won a number of trophies. He's got a, a great highlight reel if you want to watch it, as well as a load of attributes that um, you know are, are really impressive. And I don't want him to leave Scottish football right now because it's you know he's a joy to watch. And I think you know from Celtic's point of view in Europe, he will be really important um, in trying to get past the, the teams that they've got to face. Um, so yeah, I think you know it's it's a player that we should absolutely be excited about and you know celebrate him whilst he is in the Scottish game. I totally agree with all that. Um, I think from my understanding he's on a contract till twenty twenty two, which is pretty good for Celtic. Obviously, um, they might maybe be looking at an extension pretty soon just to ward off any interest. Um, I, I think um, he must be pretty happy. You know, he's got quite a lot of French or French speaking players around him um, at Celtic, which you know will matter to a player. Um, I think he's absolutely brilliant, such a smart player, very composed, great ball control, uh, he's clinical uh, in the box, a bit stronger than he looks, he's um, gaining I think a bit more resilience, You know, I think early on maybe in his career at Celtic it looked like he took on Knox a little bit too much but I think he's surpassed that, um, I think it's, you know, it, you could perceive a scenario in which 
he hadn't signed for Celtic after the loan from PSG, and at this point with um, Cavani being out, um, you know potentially PSG might not have opted to bring in Icardi, and you know Edward could be getting some starts for them. PSG have wasted, um, in my view, their opportunity to hold on to a whole host of very young talent, and he could have been one of the guys that was still hanging about there. Um, when you were talking about, <clears throat> and obviously I completely agree with you as well, I want him to remain in the Scottish game for as long as possible and um, continue to, to do great things here, but when you were talking about the fact that you know he might be a transfer target for various teams, I was kind of thinking about that. Um, I think if he is going to move... Um, he needs to pick his next move very smartly. I mean, obviously, everybody has to do that, but I think particularly for him, I think that um, he it might be the case that really high-level teams might doubt his athleticism a little bit. Um, I think that he's he's got brilliant ball control, so when he's dribbling, you know, he's he's able to go quickly in comparison to other people because his control is so good. But he's not like lightning, lightning fast, and he's. Not- super super strong so that might potentially put some teams off I also think that he probably works best um, in a team that's quite ball dominant I would hate for him to go to like a really low possession English Premier League team something like that you know I think that would be very difficult for him so I was wondering whether I don't know what sort of team in a top 5 league would suit him I was thinking if they had the funds and I mean this is maybe looking a little bit ahead of ourselves and being maybe a little bit wishful thinking about how people will be valued in the Scottish leagues, but there's somewhat of a precedent with Dembele and Tierney. But I don't know if teams of this sort would have the funds, but I was thinking like maybe a Napoli um, or maybe a Sevilla under Lopetegui um, or maybe even like Ajax, somebody like that, who you know would dominate the ball in their league, um, but also give them a platform for um, you know Champions League and things like that. Um, anyway, that, that was just my thoughts on potential destinations and um, things like that, but incredible to see how well he's done um, this week and not a surprise, I think, to either of us that he's going from strength to strength. So um, to kind of close off things um, from this episode there, um, for those of you who have maybe seen this international break, even without the Scotland results, as a bit of a chore to get through, uh, you'll be very happy to know that obviously there's Scottish Premier League, um, Premiership rather, and um, uh, champ. Oof, yes, um, it's late, right? <laughs> it's late at night. <laughs> and Championship, and League One, and League Two games uh, to come this weekend. Um, we've got Arbroath versus Partick Thistle, who are bottom of the Championship, kicking it off on Friday. Um, we've got Aberdeen versus St Johnston, who are bottom of the Premiership on Saturday. Got Hearts in 11th against Motherwell. We've got quite a key game between Kilmarnock and Hibs. Uh, down League One, we've got a bottom versus top clash with Montrose versus East Fife. We've got Clyde in 8th uh, versus Stranraer, who are in 9th. And in League Two, we've got Brecon, who are set in bottom against Cove, who are top. So lots of exciting games to look forward to. Um, just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, again, if you would like to leave us a review or a rating, on iTunes or whatever other platform you use, um, please do that. Um, also, please subscribe if you haven't already and tell a friend about the podcast um, if you enjoy it. Gavin, do you have any ads um, before we go? Uh, hopefully next week's more positive, so um, we'll be looking at a few different things. Um, so, yeah, thank you for everyone who subscribes, listens, rates, reviews, comments, gets involved on Twitter. Really appreciate it, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Em. Bye-bye.